Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Our teaching text this morning is found in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Good morning, everyone. As Andy said, we have been celebrating some very special people who are getting married in four weeks. How exciting, that's something to be excited about. Their names are Johnny and Steph. And we had the privilege of being at their, they had their hand party and their stag day actually on the same weekend, which kind of just really alerted to me, like the, like the complete difference of men and women. Like they are worlds apart. Like at a hand party, everyone gets together and celebrates how beautiful she is. And they tell her all day long, like, oh, you look so beautiful and you're not even in your dress yet. And it's so lovely. And we'd shower her with like compliments and gifts. And then like at a stag day, they just think of all the things that you would hate to be anywhere near your skin and they pour it on you. <laughs> it is the weirdest, the weirdest thing. I haven't yet introduced myself. My name is Laura. I am a part of the team here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. And I am the Connections Pastor here. And we all say this, but we do actually mean it, that we love what we get to do here. We love that we get to be a part of family, a part of church, and a part of leading this community and listening to Jesus as to what he is calling us to. Lots of people ask me, what does a Connections Pastor do? Well, I'm really the kind of the only person on our staff to many like small chat. No, I'm just kidding. I do lots more than that. Um, I connect people to the heart of church. I connect people who are new. I connect to you if you have something that you want to chat about. If you have any questions about church, I would absolutely love to chat with you. And if you're sitting in the room and you kind of want to know a wee bit more about who we are, you maybe want to receive updates from us. You want to connect with us. Maybe you want to chat with someone in church. You want to find out how do I join a tribe? How do I get more involved here? The best thing for you to do is to fill out a connection card. Um, this is what this is here. If you have one on your seat and you'd like to fill one out, you just fill one out on the back and you fill it all out in writing that people can can read <laughs> so many people be like I never received your email and I'm like I never received anything that I could read <laughs> so I cannot put it into my system I'm only joking but yes please do fill it out we would absolutely love to connect with you that is one of the main roles of what I do here and I love that I get to connect with people here 
If you are joining us for the first time this summer, we are in the middle of a series called The On Force Rhythms of Grace. And if you would like to listen again to that, maybe you find out something that happened today and intrigued you and you want to go and listen to that, you can find out everything that has been happening over the summer months in our series on our website in the podcast section. And we would really encourage you to go and to listen again. We have been learning and trying to um, experience what it means to live in the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus provides for us. And we hope that over the next 40 minutes that we will journey some of what God has been speaking to us. We will end the service today by gathering around the table of communion. And if you're in the room and you've never done communion before, it is really easy. We will walk you through that process. So don't be worrying about it. And it is a beautiful place where we get to come and we get to meet with Jesus. It is completely optional. It is not compulsory. So please don't be worried about that. If you've just joined us this morning, as I said, we are in a series called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace, where we are exploring and not only learning how to live in the way of Jesus, but we want to spend time in how we learn how to do that for ourselves. How do we live in the way of his grace and his gentleness? We have spent a significant time, amount of time this summer, talking about the invitation that Jesus offers to each and every single one of us, whether that's for the first time or whether that's for the hundredth time. We have kind of been camping out in Matthew 11, and it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, we don't just want to learn what Jesus was like, but we want to learn how we live in the way of him, how we resemble who he was on this earth and how we carry that into our everyday ordinary lives. And I wonder how many of us in here this morning, if we were really honest with ourselves, do we live in a sense of restlessness in our soul? Maybe you've come in here this morning and maybe we're distracted. Maybe we have, maybe we're angry. Maybe we're greedy. Maybe we're exhausted. And maybe we're anxious. And if I'm honest, I didn't really realize how restless my soul was in this season until I had to sit down and write a talk about the complete opposite of that. <laughs> and I realized sitting in my kitchen, at my kitchen table that I wasn't that. And the beautiful thing that I noticed is that Jesus just so gently invites you into that. No matter where you are, at your kitchen table, in this room, that is where Jesus is inviting us this morning. I firmly believe that in my soul. And this week, I spent every day praying for you. And I'm not saying that as some title, but it is the greatest privilege of our life to be able to think of you, to pray for you, and to journey life with you. My prayer is that you would experience replenishment of peace in your soul, that the mercy of Jesus would overflow into every corner of your being. Not just as you sit in here, but as you leave this place and as you enter into your week. That whenever I was doing that, I not only had to set aside my time, but I had to set aside my pride more than what I thought I would. And Jesus entered in because as he said, he is gentle and he is humble in heart. My prayer is that as you sit in this space and as we go through scripture, as we take communion, that you would be reminded again 
that you are invited into that space to receive peace, complete peace of your mind, your spirit and your soul, to rest into this space. And I'm inviting you to rest into this space this morning. May you find replenishment as the Holy Spirit works in and through us. As we take time to sit in his presence and to think again how we live in the unforced rhythms of his grace. We're gonna pray now and I, um, this, this morning, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take some time. We're gonna gently ease in to what Jesus has been teaching us about the unforced rhythms of grace and how that invitation is not only extended to Zacchaeus, but it's extended to each and every single one of us. Let us pray and then we're gonna jump into the text. Heavenly Father, we welcome you here. Father, we welcome your peace, your grace, and your kindness. And Father, we take a moment to recognize the kind of flow that is in our heart right now, the places where we feel restless, the places where we don't feel peace, the places where we feel distant, not only from you, but from ourselves. And would you come and would you rest in that space? Father, would you heal that space? And Jesus, for the people who feel vexed in spirit, who feel anxious, who feel distant. Father, we invite the opposite of that. We invite your presence and your peace to come be among us. May we recognize it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Earlier on in our service, Andy read... And he read um, the story of Zacchaeus. And if you want to follow along with that, can I encourage you to? We're kind of going to go through the passage this morning. Um, that is page seven to eight in the church Bibles. I'm not sure what it is in your own Bible, but if you're following along in these black Bibles, it is the page seven to eight. We're going to be reading from Luke 19. Verse 1 to 10. I'm not going to read that again, but I would encourage you to keep it open if you like to kind of like flick back as to where we're teaching from. But yes, as I said earlier on um, in our service, Andy read the teaching text, which is Luke 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus. This is where we're going to be teaching from today. Um, and we hope that as you kind of journey with us, that we learn something together. And for any of you who are familiar, unfam unfamiliar with the story of Zacchaeus, and for those of us who have grown up hearing these stories, it's easy for us to bypass the incredible interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus in this story. That it's not just a moment where Zacchaeus receives his salvation. It is a beautiful story of that. But this morning, we're gonna kind of go to a different place where we believe that Zacchaeus actually encountered the peace of heaven and how we get to carry that with us. And just to bring that back to the story that Andy said earlier about the young guy standing on the bridge. That's what happened in that moment. That exchange of Jesus seeing him and inviting him into a different life and that the peace of heaven actually overflowed into his entire life and changed everything. If you take anything away from this morning, that story is incredible. And that is what we are gonna focus on today. And for those of you who don't know, just a wee bit of context about who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. 
And not only was he just tax collector, but he was the chief of all the tax collectors. He kind of like ruled them all. He was the manager of thieves and a leader in exploitation. He not only just took something for himself, but he taught other people how to do it too. He had stealing and manipulating his own community for more wealth and more power, and he was encouraging other people to do the same. A man of influence, albeit for the wrong reasons, that is who he was. And tax collectors at the time were not liked people. They were pretty hated people. I have just lost my sentence. <laughs> I was doing so well, wasn't I? I know, thank you. <laughs> There we go. Um, tax collectors at the time were not well-liked people. They were hated people, not only because they were stealing money, but because they worked for Rome. And what they were doing there is that they were seen to be traitors to their own people. Not only were they taking money, but they were taking so much more than just that. They were stealing money from their own communities. And think about that. And whenever I thought about that, the only thing that I could really relate this to in kind of our like everyday context was a drug dealer. Okay, this is who Zacchaeus was. He was someone in the community who pried on vulnerable people for the gain of more money, not caring about the person. At any cost, in any community, he didn't care. He took what he wanted and that was all he got. Organized crime, exploiting communities for money and for power. I wanna paint this picture because I want to let us in on the kind of person and the kind of life that Zacchaeus, who he was and the kind of life that he was living. And then we get to watch how Jesus interacts. And there's something incredibly special about how he views Zacchaeus. He addresses who he is, but he also sees what he could be. He sees all of his potential. He sees what other people couldn't. He's seen his humanity. He's seen a man tormented by greed and by wealth. I think he was a tormented, he was tormented by his own mind because whenever the scripture portrays how much he wanted to see Jesus, it was really important to him to the point where he ran and climbed up a tree. He didn't just kind of like walk along and kind of wait on him and was like, maybe he'll see me, maybe he won't. He climbed, he ran and climbed a tree so that Jesus would see him. This was someone who was desperate to be in Jesus' presence. Desperate to see him. And I think there's a part of this just, just lets you know that Zacchaeus was so aware of his own depravity. And whenever you see someone running to, like, to someone's presence, like, you're like, that person really wants to see them. And whenever I thought of this, I thought of like whenever the royals come to like Northern Ireland, everyone's like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to see them. Maybe I'll get to see them. And then we all line up at the wee barriers. And granted, I've actually never done this, but... One time whenever I was in Nottingham, I, um, Prince Harry was there and like there was all these people like waiting in this big massive, massive like area and I was like, what's everyone waiting on? It was like a real buzz, like what are we all waiting on? And they were like, Prince Harry's coming. I was like, oh my goodness, I would actually love to see Prince Harry, I really would. And like whenever I came back, like three hours later, all of these people were still waiting here and it was almost like seeing him kind of validated their like, I seen him. He doesn't even know who I am, but I seen him, do you know? Like I seen him, like this is the story that you're going to go and tell the rest of your family and friends and they're going to be insanely jealous of you. And this also reminds me of my mom and my niece. And my mom and my niece just like literally are like best buds. They just love each other. My mom's name is Sharon and my niece Harper calls her Nanny Shan. And it's so cute. It breaks my heart every time she says, she's like, Nanny Shan. 
And whenever you see the two of them like running for their embrace, like you can tell when they haven't seen each other in a couple of days and they kind of like run to each other and they love each other's presence just as much as the other. There's like, it's not as if like mom's just doing it to like play along. Mom's like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you in ages. And they just love being with each other. And a couple of weeks ago, we were actually all around at my mom's house for Sunday dinner. And um, it was kind of like after dinner, you could have sweets or dessert. And my brother Nicky was like to Harper. He was like, Harper, you get one or the other. You don't get both. You get sweets or you get cake. Can't have both. And she like looked at him. She was like, but I'm at Nanny Shan's. Like, I can have whatever I want here, you know? Nanny Shan gives me whatever I would like. And mum just looked at him and was like, that's true. She can have both. And I was like, mom, what are you teaching her? She was like, you all got the same, don't worry. And then we all had cake and sweets. We all had it. No, I'm just kidding. But whenever, I'm not kidding. Um, whenever, <laughs> but I'm like 27, so I can make that decision for myself. No, no. Whenever you see their embrace, you can tell that the, they just want to be in each other's presence. There's a run to it. There's like, oh my goodness, I just love that you're here in my presence. That is what Zacchaeus was wanting. He ran to his presence. And if I'm really honest, Zacchaeus' approach this week really challenged me. He ran to Jesus' presence. And when was the last time that we approach Jesus' presence in this way. Aware of my own faults and my need for Jesus, sometimes what I wanna do in that moment is that I wanna go the opposite direction. I don't wanna run into his arms, I don't wanna run to the scripture, I don't wanna run to his presence, I actually just wanna like gently saunter the other way. We don't even run the other way, we're like maybe if I do it slowly and not notice me. And that's what we do. And maybe you have been there as well, maybe that's not the place where you run to automatically. But for Zacchaeus, that's what he wanted. And although Zacchaeus had used his position wrongly and he had corrupted his talent, Jesus not only sees who he became, but he invites him to who he could be. How beautiful is that? He invites him into who he could be. A whole new identity. He was revealing his goodness to him and his kindness to him. I see how you live and I see that you have mislived your gift of life. This beautiful interaction between Jesus and humanity. Zacchaeus in this moment is all of us. Where Jesus comes in and he sees who we should be. He sees who the potential of our life and he invites us in. And that is all of us. We maybe don't have the same story as Zacchaeus, but we are right there. Jesus' approach is kind and gentle and unlike anybody else. Nobody else gives Zacchaeus the time. Nobody. Nobody had ever given him the time. So it was unlike anything he'd ever experienced. He not only notices him, but he actually says, I want to spend time with you. I not only notice that you're here, I not only notice that you exist, but I want to spend time with you. I want to know who you are. I want to know how you've got to this place. And you see that in verse five and six. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Not only is Jesus talking to him, but he's saying, I'm coming to your house and I'm gonna eat with you. 
and to spend time with you. And everyone is wondering, why does he get to host the Messiah? Why does he get to host Jesus? This is so ridiculous. He's a sinner. He's hateful. He takes all our money. Why should he get to do it? Jesus goes the opposite direction. What kind of king is Jesus that he would go to his house? I likened the case earlier to the one of the worst people that we could ever imagine. And we're intentionally using exaggerated language here. Is that he is like a drug dealer and Jesus decides to go straight to him. Hosting a person in your house was the highest compliment to anyone in this culture. And even today in Middle Eastern culture it is. The guest is like, whenever we, whenever in our culture, it's like whenever you go to somebody else's house, that's the highest form of, like that is the compliment that you get to come here. But whenever you're in this culture, it was that you got to host. That was the highest form of, of it was just such a compliment to the person. Hospitality in Middle Eastern cultures then and now transcends the offering of food and a meal or a quick cup of tea. Your home is theirs for the time that they are in it. Zacchaeus and how he has paid for everything. Think about that. How Zacchaeus has paid for everything in his home, what they're eating, is not done by like well-earned money. He's not like out like making the bread. He is out taking it. He is taking it and that is where Jesus is. I remember whenever Pete and I started dating a couple of years ago, Pete was telling me about how he was traveling in the Middle East. He was doing some work out there and I was just mesmerized by him. It was beautiful. And um, he was telling me all like his best stories and I was lapping them up. (laughs) And he was telling me about this guy. um, If you know Pete, if you've met Pete, there's something really inviting about the kind of person that Pete is. Like he just makes you feel at ease. He's just a lovely kind of person to be around. And I don't think that I'm biased in that. Most people who know him would probably say that. And as Pete kind of passed every single day, they kind of like shared this like, how you doing? Hi. Like just being like kind of nice to each other. And Pete didn't speak his language and he didn't speak Pete's language. And as the days wore on, it became more of a high and it was like, I don't know what, how you explain how you're doing in your hands, but he, they, a couple of days in, the man invited Pete to come and kind of take a seat with him outside his house. And he was drinking coffee and they got chatting. I don't know what they chatted about. They probably just spoke at each other in their own language and that was good. But they kind of showed each other pictures of like, this is what I do, this is my family, this is my life, this is who I am. And they kind of shared that between them. And they had this whole experience of hospitality and they didn't even speak the same language. Because hospitality, whenever it comes from the heart, transcends food, it transcends language, and it just makes you feel at home. It makes you feel like that person wants you to be there. And one of the things that I loved about this story that just really reiterates um, the kind of hospitality that Middle Eastern culture have is that Pete kind of like pointed to the coffee pot and was like, oh, I really like that. Like he was like, yeah, it's good, I like it, yeah. And the guy just like goes off into his house and he like rummages around for something and then he comes back and he gives him one. He just gives him and he was like, you can have it. I seen that you really liked it and whenever you're in my home that this now becomes yours because I love that you're here. That is the kind of hospitality that they have. What a privilege it would be to be like that, the kind of culture that that would have in our city that when you come into our house, our house is your house and whatever you need, I will give you it. Imagine that was the kind of culture that we had here at Lagan Valley Vineyard and in our city. That would just be absolutely incredible. Middle Eastern culture, they don't just share like a really quick meal and like that's over and done with, let's get to dessert, let's have tea and coffee, let's kind of keep going with your house, like our house, that's kind of what it's like. 
but it actually goes over a really long period of time. It goes over like six hours. They make the food together. They chat together. They spend time together, and they ease in to each other's presence. That was what Jesus was being invited into. He invited himself to his home because it was the highest compliment to pay him that I'm coming to your house today. I'm gonna be a part of your home today. We're gonna share food. We're gonna spend time together. We're gonna chat about life. We're gonna enjoy every minute of it. I'm gonna enjoy your presence as much as you enjoy mine. And watch what happens to Zacchaeus in this exchange. The relentlessness of life was introduced to the peace of heaven and the grace of Jesus. Jesus' grace released his greed and replaced it with the opposite spirit of generosity. And when we go back to the scripture, he says, look, Lord, here I have, I not, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Four times the amount. Not like for like, what I've taken from you, I'll give you it back. I'll give you four times the amount of it back because that is what happens whenever we experience Jesus, that we get released from that kind of sense that in our soul that has no peace and heaven just comes in and gives us this whole new identity. But the thing that really trapped him, that Jesus came and said, I, ha- I can give you the opposite. That greed and that wealth that you want to store up just for yourself, I'll come and I'll give you the opposite. I'll give you generosity beyond your means. I'll give you generosity and it'll make you give away four times the amount. The peace of heaven releases us from the corruption of our souls. His soul was corrupt and Jesus released him from it. And Jesus addresses the shadowed part of his identity, the dark part of his soul that caused him to want to take more and store wealth up for himself. He had become distracted and consumed by the shadowed side of his own identity. Jesus heals it and transforms it. And in this immediate change of mindset of living, that's incredible. It didn't even take him like a couple of days to realize that he needed to give it back. It was immediate. It happened just like that. My dad sent me this quote this week and it just, I just let it sit as I read it out. Never allow anything that divides your life or destroys the oneness of your life with Christ to remain in your life without facing it. That's what Jesus did for him that day. I noticed something that's destroying the person that you are. I'm so gracious and I'm so kind. I'm not gonna let you live there anymore. Never allow anything that divides your life or destroys the oneness of your life with Christ to remain in your life without facing it. And it is hard. It's not easy. Quotes can be inspiring and then you actually go to do it and you're like, oh, that's awful. (laughs) Our fear keeps us out of this shadow and our pride keeps us from our healing and our sin ruins our mindset. Our fear keeps us out of this shadow Our pride keeps us from our healing and our sin ruins our mindset. That's how Jesus interacts with us. When you're ready, come down from the tree. I'll spend time with you. I'll enjoy your presence. I'll take all those things that burden your soul so deeply and so richly and I will heal them. I'll give you all that you need. In fact, I'll give you all you need and more. That's the kindness of who he is. I will care for you and I will release you from the burden of your soul. There is no other king or ruler who would ever lead like this. 
And here Jesus is, his saviour, his friend, calling him to where he knows his best life is. And this is the gospel, the sense of invitation, healing, transformation, and complete and utter peace. He embodies that line in Matthew 11, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I wanna take a few moments to talk about what happened with the crowd at this point. Gonna pause there for some water. <laughs> in verse seven, it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. Verse seven, let's go back there. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Their shame and their judgment in this one sentence is palpable. He's going to there, he's going to his house for dinner? That's, that's ridiculous. Look at the way I live. I give money away, I, give, I, help, I help people, I'm kind to people. Jesus should be coming to my house. Why is he going to his house? He's a sinner, he takes money from people. Why is he going to his house? And they're hurt. I think you can see in their judgment that they're kind of hurt. And when we think to ourselves, I would never do that. We think that we don't have behaviors like that in our life. And honestly, I have found myself more times than I shamefully care to admit that I have done that. And I think more than what it breaks my heart that it breaks Jesus' heart. We remark on somebody else's shortfalls and we remark on their sins and their behaviors And we take no time to invite Jesus into that and say, Jesus, why are you making me aware of that? Make me aware of that. A few weeks ago at Love Lagon Valley, there was something about this that um, took me back to what Yvette was saying whenever Yvette and Sue spoke. There was something that just reminded me of this. You don't need to look it up. I'm going to read it out. It's the message version of um, Isaiah 58, verse 9 to 12. If you get rid of unfair practices and you quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, and if you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight and I will always show you where to go. I will give you full life in the emptiest of places. And you know, Zacchaeus had unfair practices. He really did. Like, you can't bypass that. He did. But the crowd gossiped, the crowd made remark on him. And actually in Isaiah, those three things are mounted as the same thing. If you do these three things, and then if you get rid of those behaviors and you put in these new behaviors, you will find life in the emptiest of places. Because whenever he changes our mindset, he changes our heart. And when we replace these habits with new habits, Jesus enters into the emptiest of places, not only into our society, but into our souls. He invites us to this new place, that when you get rid of your unfair practices, when you get rid of your gossiping, I will give you full life in the emptiest of places. But he doesn't just say, just stop there. He gives us new behaviors. If you start giving yourselves to the down and out, if you start being generous, if you give your food away, if you do all of these things, and it's not because it's conditioned, it's because Jesus has the absolute generosity of giving us a new way to live. It's not because it is conditioned. He promises full life, full transformation, readily, readily available in that one moment. 
A couple of minutes ago, I mentioned about how Zacchaeus lived in this kind of shadowed place of his identity. Um, that kind of term comes from a book by John Ortberg. Um, if you want to know a wee bit more about this, if there's something about this talk today that has maybe gripped you and you want to learn a wee bit more about it, we were encouraged to read these books for this series. This is John Ortberg's um, Overcoming Your Shadow Mission. I would really encourage you to read it. If you're kind of in that place where you want to know more, maybe about a wee bit about who you are, and are you living in that place? This book is a really, really great place to start. But John Ortberg describes your shadow mission as this. You and I were created to have a mission in life. We were made to make a difference, but if we do not pursue the mission for which God designed and gifted us, we will find a substitute. We cannot live in the absence of purpose. Without an authentic mission, we will be tempted to drift onto autopilot and let our lives center around something that is unworthy, something that is selfish, something that is dark, and that will be your shadow mission. Patterns of thought and actions based on temptations and our own selfishness that lead us to betray God's deepest values. Like, your shadow mission might not be as drastic as the cases. But what is causing you to have patterns, actions, and temptations that betray at your core who you are and who God designed you to be? Does it make you betray the values of the kingdom? Does it make you betray your own identity? Are these little subtle things that are kind of teaching us the way, to live in the way of the enemy? What are those little subtle things that we need to take notice of that Jesus is saying, there's actually a different way for you to live? And this made me think of this one question that really kind of centers this. What is corrupting your peace? What in your life is causing your soul to be so restless? That looks like different things in different seasons. You can go through life where you're, and you're in the season and it, you just don't feel like that. But there will be times and people within this room and Jesus right in this moment is inviting you to look at it. What's corrupting your peace? What is corrupting your soul? You see, Zacchaeus gave all of his attention to wealth and to greed. And what, what happened in this moment is that that became his devotion. He was devoted to wealth and to greed. That is what he longed for. And Jesus' attention that day was on the outcast, and that became his devotion. That was Jesus' devotion. Jesus was devoted to people. He was devoted to saying, you have a new life, and I can give you it, a new mindset. You can have life in all of its fullness, life in the emptiest of places, and I can give it to you. Jesus' whole attention, his whole life was on that. And you could say, of course it was. He was the son of, he was God incarnate, but that was difficult. He was tempted like all of us, but his attention was on people and that is what he was devoted to. John Tyson says, attention is the beginning of devotion and what gets your attention gets your devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion and what gets your attention gets your devotion. What are you, what has your attention more than anything? It could be something really small and really subtle. At the start of this series, um, Stu kind of started like just maybe outlining like what it means for us to find rest. And one of the common things in that is that we are busy. That busy has become this kind of term of success. Like I'm really busy, like my calendar is really full. 
like, it's great and I hate it. <laughs> you know, but for some reason we think that that's where success lies, that we are successful whenever we are busy and we get all of our worth from that. And like, I have to go and see loads of people, I've got all these meetings, I've got all this stuff to do and I'm really busy, that's my success. But Jesus is calling us to another way of life. That is where Stu started us and if that intrigues you, you can go and listen to that again. We are busier than ever before. We are consumed by consuming. We do everything at once and we do it all at a really fast pace. We create rhythms in life that are so hard to maintain or achieve that when we get to the end of the day, well, whenever I get to the end of the day and my head kind of hits the pillow, for me it's, oh, flip, I didn't go and see that person. I didn't text that person back. I haven't done this, I haven't done that. I didn't do the washing. I really need to get food for our fridge. I need to do all of these things. And before we even go to sleep, we have this feeling of failure. And before the next day has even begun, we have a to-do list that's like the length of our arm. And it's like the worst place to enter into just before you go to sleep. But we are consumed by busyness. And think of your phone, this little device that kind of follows us around everywhere. We bring it everywhere, it doesn't follow us. <laughs> think of your phone, and it has about six to 15 different forms of activity, probably based on your age. This is probably the higher end of that. You have like 15 apps open at one time, and everyone's communicating, everyone's sending you pictures, everyone's talking. You're in like so many different conversations at once, and you're kind of proud of it. You're like, look how many people I'm speaking to, look how many people I'm communicating to, but you're not really communicating anything at all. You're just sending memes and <laughs> yeah, they're funny, but we just are so fixated on having our attention spread so thin. And our minds are growing, are growing akin to this kind of life. We cope with it because we feel like we have to. That's just the way society is now. And our minds grow normal to having this kind of interaction, hurried, under pressure, unable to rest. That's what we think we have to do. That's the kind of life we think we have to be in. A study in America, while it is in America, I could probably say that it's maybe true here, it showed that people check their phone on average every 12 minutes, burying their heads in their phones 80 times a day, according to new research. Again, that probably means different things to different age groups in the room. But if it's not your phone, something else is distracting you. We live in a world of distraction and something else has our attention. I'm not saying phones are evil. Not at all, not that person, because I actually kind of like my phone. <laughs> but that is something that we have to be so attentive to. What is grabbing our attention all day long? What grabs your attention more than what Jesus does? What replaces your time with him? This world is convincing you that you need to give all of your attention and all of your time to something else other than the best place for you. And whenever I get into this place, whenever I fill my life with distraction, they're not necessarily even bad things. My two things that I kind of give my life to whenever I know that I'm kind of running in the opposite direction of Jesus, kind of sauntering off in the other direction, is I watch TV. I love numbing my mind and watching TV. It's actually awful whenever we are in the office and at lunchtime we're talking about like, have you watched something? I have always watched what everybody's talking about. I'm like, I need to stop watching so much TV, but it's true. That's what numbs my mind. And the other thing that I do is that I am a sociable person. God has gifted me to be able to speak at any time of the day, with any person, anywhere. I can just talk all day long. I love socializing with people. I'm so curious about other people, about what they do, about who you are. And you know what? Actually, I run to that place whenever I don't wanna spend time with Jesus. And that is not good. 
I use the thing that he has gifted me with in order to not spend time with him. Your thing can, maybe not even necessarily a bad thing, but what do you run from so that you don't have to go to him? What fills your mind? Are you anxious? Are we worried about family? Are we struggling with an addiction? Are we obsessed with work? Are we consumed by money? Are we jealous? And does that jealousy make you bitter? And does that bitterness make you hurt? Are we unforgiving? Are we obsessed with the internet? Are we obsessed with TV? And whatever that is for you, I don't know it. And maybe you need to ask someone, what do you think that I spend too much time doing that's actually probably not very good for me? And we don't want to hear that answer, really and truly. That's why we never ask it. They're not necessarily bad things that take our attention, but they will fill our minds with distraction. They fill our minds with unrest and with heaviness. Where do you rush to hide? I distract myself. That's what I do with TV or with people. And that's the saddest thing. God's like, that, that's your gift. That's the thing that you're made for. And yet you use it to be distant from me. What has your attention? What has your devotion? I really want to say that my devotion is to Jesus. But really and truly, if you probably looked at my life, that wouldn't be true every day. It's not not true every day. Like, there's some days whenever I'm like, I am just there with Jesus and it is the sweetest place. And there are other days where I am so far from him. It's because my attention is in the wrong place. What has your attention? More than anything, more than Jesus, more than his time, what has your attention? Band, if you want to come on up. What does this story teach us about the wee little man who climbed a tree? If everybody remembers that song, I'm not going to sing it because I'm just not going to do that. The song about Zacchaeus. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're restless. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you found your gift and you're unsure around about how to wrap it around kingdom values. Maybe you feel like you're living in that kind of shadow mission where you're substituting something in your life instead of going to Jesus with it. Our souls are restless and our attention can sometimes be in the total opposite of where it needs to be. I'm gonna move this over here so that you can go back to your space. Maybe you're up to your eyes in something that you shouldn't be and you don't know how to talk to someone about it. Maybe that gives your soul a sense of serious unrest, that you feel so distant not only from God but from people and you have no idea how to talk about it. Maybe you feel distant from Jesus and maybe you show up here on Sundays because you want to know why. You're like, I, I work here and some Sundays I show up and I find it hard to engage. Like, we'd all be lying if we said that we didn't. Some people jump into this space and they absolutely love it. They're so ready for it. I work here and I find that hard. I find that hardest in the evening services. 
I love the morning services. I like I love connecting with people. It's a really lovely space for it. And then I go home and I have a nap and I have my Sunday dinner. And then I have to be like, I have to go back there. And we all have that. Sometimes we come to church and we just let it float over us. We go through the motions. We do the three songs at the start. We listen to some announcements. We have a wee 25-minute talk. We'll maybe do this at the end. And the next thing you know, you haven't really actually paid any attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this room. What is he doing? What is he doing in your life right now that you need to take attention of? He's calling you back to that place of devotion. And you know, if you're in this room and that is you and you find it hard to connect, you find some this difficult, you find it not only hard to connect with Jesus but with other people, that is okay. <laughs> Maybe you walk in really quickly and you walk out really quickly, that's okay. But if you do want to connect with someone, if that kind of like place in your heart, it's like, I want to connect to God a wee bit more and I want to connect to community a wee bit more, open the conversation. See the things in your life that you decide that you're not going to tell anyone, that is where the, the enemy wins. I've convinced you that you don't even need to tell anyone. I've convinced you that it's so unimportant that no one would care. That is a lie. And see the moment that you speak it out, the moment that you say, no, this doesn't have any hold on me anymore, that breaks. That breaks you. It doesn't fix it, but it breaks you from the, from the kind of like restlessness that it gives your soul. And you know when sometimes someone like notices and they ask you that question, you're like, oh, so annoying, please leave me alone. Because we want to run from it. Maybe you want to go in the opposite direction of where your heart is right now. It causes you to be restless causes you to worry and Jesus said if you come to me for just one moment for one moment like Zacchaeus doesn't decide to give all the money away like four days later he decides to do it in the in the, the, the time that Jesus spends with him and I mentioned this earlier it wasn't like like for like it was like I will give you everything back four times the amount because what Jesus has given me what he has forgiven me for is so much I get to give that much away. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. And the way that we usually do this is that we encourage people to come up, come up with families, come up with friends. Let's do this as a family. But this morning what we're going to do is that we're going to do this individually. That moment between you and Jesus, that simple interaction. And you know what? Maybe you haven't listened the whole time. That's okay. Because I really enjoyed writing this so much. It was good for me that even if I was the only person in the room that it was for, because Jesus is that kind, but it's not, it's for us. I know deeply that it is for more than just me in this room. I know it in my soul, I can feel it. And if that is you, Jesus is saying, see all of that you're carrying, I can change it in one moment, in one interaction, whenever you decide to give him your full attention. When we stop wanting to be distracted by everything, the place where we run to that feels comfortable, is our distraction. Communion expresses Jesus' deep sacrifice and love for each and every single one of us. Why don't you stand to your feet? Matthew 11 reads, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Where in your soul do you need to invite peace? You might not answer that question right now in this moment, but if I could encourage you to go home, even if it's five minutes, ask him that question. Ask yourself that question. Our communion is going to work this morning. If you're new to this, there are gonna be four stations. There are gonna be two at the front and two at the back. Felt like someone on an airplane there. Your exits will be here and here. There will be four stations. Um, it is just juice, so don't be worrying. It is just juice and bread. And the way that it is gonna work is that you'll just come up, take a moment, don't rush it. We're gonna sing a song or we're gonna play it. The band are gonna play a song and then we're gonna sing it together as a declaration of our worship after that. Can we invite you to come if you've never done this before? Don't feel intimidated. You are so welcome at the table of Jesus. Let me pray and let's take communion. Jesus, we invite you into the shadowed part of our soul where we quietly sit, but where we earnestly long for change. We wait there. It's uncomfortable and it's awkward, but Jesus, we wait there. And Jesus, we are thankful that one moment in your presence changes everything. It takes our anxiety and it sets us free. It takes our money-driven need for wealth and it sets us free. It takes our pain and our bitterness and it sets us free. Jesus, we thank you that freedom reigns in this place. It reigns in this place. And if that is something this morning that you have not felt, I encourage you in one moment just to say, Jesus, let me experience that. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome your peace, your transformation, and your kindness. Jesus, we are so thankful for what you did for us. We're so thankful that you not only want to be our savior, but you want to be our friend. And what a privilege and what a joy that it is that you care about the intricate details of our life. That you care about the things that grieve us you care about the things that capture us. Before the service, someone in our community came and gave us this word. I'm gonna read it out. We're a community of people that believes that Jesus is speaking all the time. He is so present in this room and we don't have to create it, but he calls us to partner with it. And so if there's something happening in this place in your heart that you want prayer for or that you want released from, we welcome you up here to the front and we would love to pray for you. But maybe you're in that place where you're like, what capture is my attention? really hurts me to speak about. It's maybe a wee bit too sensitive for me to come up to the front, but I'd really love to chat to someone about it. Maybe you wanna email us, maybe you wanna grab one of us and say I'd love to get coffee. 
I'd love someone to phone me. You're so welcome to do that. I'm gonna read out this word. And if it's for you, you don't need to feel rushed to come come forward for it, but can I encourage you to come and pray with Andy? The word people who have recently suffered or in the process of facing loss. Whilst grief is an intensely personal thing, God wants you to know that sharing it is healing. Don't be afraid to share your sadness, your fear, your anger, your disappointment and devastation with God's people. And through them you will encounter the hug of the Father, the deep compassion of the Son and the peace of the Holy Spirit. If that resonates with you today, you're so welcome to come up to the front and we would love to chat with you and we'd love to pray for you. Earlier on, just before we sing together the last song, I mentioned that whenever we speak something out, it no longer has the kind of, like, it's not attached in the way that it was. That language is a wee bit clunky, but if there's something in your soul that you think that is taking away from your peace with heaven, that your soul is restless, and you wanna be released from it, there is something about saying it out, and there is something about surrendering your entire worship to him that changes everything. It changes every part of the atmosphere. We don't worship at the end because it's nice. We firmly believe that Jesus speaks to us. He speaks to us in the whisper, but he speaks to us in worship. And our worship to him is us declaring that he is good, that we are desperate for his presence. We're gonna worship together. But don't be afraid to just let it go. Don't be afraid to say it out loud. Maybe you need to break something off in your life today. Maybe you want something to come up to the front. Maybe you're struggling deeply with anxiety and you wanna be set free from it. I firmly believe that you can be set free from it today. Whatever you're carrying in your life, you can be set free from. So as we worship together, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us, to speak to us, to transform us. Jesus, we thank you that the kindness of your grace is overflowing. Father, would we take what we experience today and would we live into the way of your goodness, your kindness and your peace in every area of our life. Would we bring it to our families, to our workplaces and to our homes. May it live and dwell deeply in our hearts and our souls. We pray these things.